Good to see everybody here this morning. It's awesome to see your faces. If you brought a Bible with you, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke this morning. Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. Again, if you brought a Bible with you, you can go ahead and open it up there. If not, that scripture will be on the screen behind me when we get to that point. To say that it's been an interesting two or three months is uh, obviously an understatement. Uh, Perhaps the biggest uh, understatement I've ever made, if I were to say something like that. That definitely has been uh, an interesting time. I think we figured out a lot about ourselves, figured out a lot about the world. But I think we've also had, even in the midst of things we didn't welcome, things that we would uh, uh, mourn and, and, and be sad over, uh, the loss of life, the loss of livelihood, um, all the sorts of negative things that are happening. None of us would wish that on anyone. None of us would welcome that. But I think a lot of people and a testimony I've heard from a lot of families especially is the gratefulness for some time away from uh, the busyness of life, uh, some time to be forced to pull aside uh, and be quiet and be together at home, to have that space be holy in a way that it hasn't been before, uh, to have some unbusied, unhurried time. Now, I know that's not the case for everyone. I know that there are a lot of you that work in industries where you're probably busier than you have been. But by and large, for most folks, that is a testimony that I hear from a lot of people. And what I want you to do a little bit this morning is to... Put your thinking cap on and try to look back on the time before all of this started happening. Uh, We're getting far enough into this where it's getting hard to, we're finding a new rhythm. It's getting hard to remember what things were were like when they were quote unquote normal. But I want you to go back to February, January, fall of last year uh, and, and think about your life, your pace during that time. Uh, and we're going to camp out on this idea of, of making space in our rhythm to be interruptible so that we might love our neighbors well. Uh, we are continuing uh, on a kind of a series that we started last week and thinking about how to love our neighbors. Uh, looking at a, a book called The Art of Neighboring is kind of a guide for our conversation. Uh, I would encourage you to read it. Uh, we will put stuff on Facebook this week just like we did last week, a link that you can go to, uh, to do a course on Right Now Media, which all of you can have access to if you want to. All you have to do is follow the information on Facebook uh, and you can get online, get an account, um, watch these videos. We even have it set up where the link that you'll have will be to a, a training post. Uh, that we've set up where you can uh, not only watch the videos, but you can kind of respond to some questions uh, on your own and and, and hopefully allow that to take root uh, a little more by doing a little extra work to think about what's being taught through those lessons. Um, For those of you who have been keeping up with a body and soul study uh, while we were doing doing everything online, um, I will be completing that this week and throwing an extra sermon, bonus sermon, hooray, Uh, everybody rejoices. I'll be throwing that online uh, sometime today or tomorrow so you can uh, get the conclusion of that there. But like I said, we're continuing with thinking about this idea of being the neighbor that God calls us to be. If we were to back up to that rhythm and to that pace that you were in before you were asked by your your governor and others uh, to stay at home. Again, think through what that looked like in your life. And if you were to come in here on a Sunday morning during that pace and that schedule, and we were to turn the lights down super low, lower than they are, and I were to 
lower my volume quite a bit from where I normally speak and talk in soothing monotones, uh, real calm uh, and, and everything else. You, if you were anything like me and the pace that I kept, you would be five minutes away from a nap. Can I get an amen from somebody on that one? Okay, you didn't amen, thank you. I take that as a compliment. Um, Maybe you're that way anyway, you know, whether the, the volume is loud or not. Uh, anytime you're in a, in a busy, fast-paced schedule where exhaustion is just kind of the norm, where, where no matter how much you, you try to sleep in or how much you try to relax, you always just kind of feel exhausted because there's always things to do. If you're ever in that, that pace of life, anytime that you stop for a moment, it, it catches up with you, doesn't it? And, and your body says, wow, this person is being still for a moment. It must be time to take a nap. It must be time to rest. Obviously, in the midst of our pandemic, we're thinking about everything that goes along with it. But let me put before you another epidemic or pandemic that I think is around our world, especially in our culture, and that is the epidemic of exhaustion. I think we are so busy in our culture, or at least we were, so busy in our culture that we lived exhausted lives to the times that when we actually felt well rested, that was an exception, the norm, right? Uh, that was, wow, I, you know, you had a, an extra weekend or uh, you, something happened, you know, one of the kids uh, had to go home sick from school and so you had to go home with the child and you ended up spending a little time at home and suddenly you felt like you had a little more energy and that was an exception to the rule of almost always feeling like you didn't have enough energy. A lot of people use the cliche for the way that we live our lives in a fast-paced culture is the tyranny of the urgent, uh, that there's always something urgent that needs to be done, and when you check that urgent thing off the list, there's something else urgent waiting on you, uh, and there's always something to be done. Uh, many of you live lives like that. Many of you work in careers like that, where you can, like any given day, you just do as much as you can. And you know the next day you'll do as much as you can. And you'll never really complete everything. You're not going to get to the end uh, of some sort of, of road. Instead, you're just going to get as far as you can every day. You're going to complete as much as you can because you know that that much and more is waiting on you the next day. And just like a tyrant, we can be oppressed by the urgent, by the things that we make urgent in our lives, by the things that we busy ourselves with. Like a tyrant who demands total devotion, the busyness of our schedule can often do the same. But I ask you this, again, thinking back pre all of this, are the urgent things in your life really beneficial? Really beneficial. You know, because we're so busy, as we think about this idea of neighboring well, because we're so busy and things around us seem so urgent, we often find ourselves too tired, or at least we did, too tired or too busy to make time for our neighbors. We might use the old excuse, I don't have time to do that. Like the challenge that I gave you last week, those of you who gathered us in person or online last week, uh, and you heard the challenge to think about your eight closest neighbors and try to reach out to one this week. Um, maybe some of you are still busy living in a fast-paced culture, but all of us, most of us, would have been tempted before all of this went down to use that excuse, I don't have time to, to, to bake cookies for my neighbor. I don't have time to, to walk over and to try to just introduce myself. I've got uh, this scheduled uh, at work. I've got this scheduled with family. I've got this scheduled with the kids. I've got all of these things I need to do. I just simply don't have time. 
When you say you don't have time to be a good neighbor, what you're actually saying is, is that being a good neighbor is not as important to you as everything else on your schedule. That's really what I'm too busy, fill in the blank, always means, right? We don't say it because we're trying to be polite and the polite way to, when you're trying to tell someone no, uh, the polite thing to say is, well, I'm sorry, I don't have time for that. But what you're really telling them is, uh, what the reality of the conversation is, look, I, I have 24 hours in a day just like everybody else does, but I prioritize a lot of things over what you're asking me to prioritize. And I would rather do those things than do the thing you're asking me to do. And in some cases, that's, that's good, right? We only have so many hours in the day. We need to prioritize those hours. We need to make sure that we're giving those hours to God and to our family first uh, and then move out from there. And so sometimes we do need to tell people, you know, we, we can be nice and say, I don't have time, or we can be honest and say, um, no, I'm not going to do that because I'm doing other things that are more important to me. But do we do that same thing sometimes, getting our priorities upside down or backwards and saying we don't have time to reach out to those around us? We don't have time to be the kind of neighbor that God calls us to be. Now, this is no trifling matter that we're talking about. Uh, This is the great commandment of Jesus Christ. Uh, When Jesus was asked, uh, what's the greatest commandment in the law? He said, of course, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second one, to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's like the first one, because it deals with love and devotion. That is all of the prophets and the law summed up together in this, these two commands, to love God with everything that we have and to love our neighbor as our how many of us have taken either one of those commands, but we're talking particularly about the second of those two today, and taken our love our neighbor and decided I would rather spend time doing other things. And so I don't have time to love my neighbor well. And by the way, as we talk about neighbor, I'm talking about in the generic sense, the people that are around you, your workplace, people you come into contact with throughout the day, but I'm also talking about your actual literal neighbors, the people who live next to you. It's a good place to start. And before everything went down, and I think we're headed back into it more quickly than some of us realize, our lack of time is the biggest obstacle you and I have to being the neighbor that God has called us to be. Or our perceived self-perception, lack of time, is the biggest obstacle that we have to being the neighbor that God has called us to be. And I know that your, your job is important, I, I know that you are important, but I think all of us would agree that none of us are as important as Jesus, right? Uh, that none of us, none of our times are as important as Jesus, uh, and, and, and the, 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 the schedule we see mapped out by Jesus is one where he allows interruptions. He is interruptible. If you look at Mark 5, we, I preached on this a while back, not that long ago, uh, about the woman with the issue of blood who had been bleeding for years and came to Jesus looking for healing. Jesus was on his way to an important man's house when that woman interrupted him. Uh, he was on his way to, to, to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead when this happened. A woman who everybody else would have pushed away, Jesus stopped and allowed himself to be interrupted. It's the same way when children tried to come to Jesus and the disciples were trying to shoo them away. Jesus saw that interruption, welcomed that interruption because he wasn't so busy that he had to go run and do this or run and do that. He didn't have some sort of booked schedule. He had enough room for strangers and for people in need to come to him when they were in need. 
Jesus had the most important mission ever known to man, to save all of humankind, yet he was still interruptible. He still had time for you, for those who came to him. And and now God has infinite time for everybody, but I'm talking about the man Jesus in the flesh who lived and walked and lived with all the fleshly limitations that we live with. He had time for those in need. The passage we're going to look at this morning shows us in a metaphor, in a parable, what it looks like to be so busy with other things that we miss the word of God that we miss our part in the gospel story. And so as we look at Luke Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15, before we do that, let's pray together. Father, once again, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your presence here with us. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together. God, we thank you for uh, your protection, and God, we pray that you would continue to, to, to keep us safe, God, continue to, to, to push illness away and disease away. God, we ask that in Jesus' name. And God, we ask that you would also be here with us, uh, God, through uh, the, the, your holy word and through your Holy Spirit to bring us truth today. God, that your word might depart and not come back to you void. God, that you might do a work of transformation in us. And show us how to love our neighbors well. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe it and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience." This parable is a microcosm of our spiritual lives. The gospel, the truth, God's word is delivered to people. And they respond in different ways. But what I want to focus on this morning is the third seed, or the third soil. The soil or the seed that fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and as it said, choked it as the seed was trying to grow. Before our time of social distancing, would you say that the gospel, that the word of God, that your relationship with Christ was flourishing in your life, or was it being choked out 
by the cares and pleasures of this world. The seed that fell among thorns is the gospel that lands in the lives of people who are too preoccupied to be interrupted with the gospel. There are too many other things for them to do to to actually allow the root, the seed, to take root and bear fruit in their lives. The authors of the book, Art of Neighboring, say that the idea of being interruptible is being willing to be inconvenienced. Nobody likes interruptions. Uh, If you're busy at work or you're busy on a task at home, whatever it might be, and you get that phone call and you see the caller ID and it's somebody you know probably just wants to chat, many of us are tempted to know that this is more important. And in some cases it might be, like if you're having dinner with your family. But many of us are tempted to do that in almost every situation, to not be interruptible to not be willing to be inconvenienced. For your average 21st century American, the gospel of Jesus Christ is an inconvenience. Now, we ought to welcome that inconvenience. But when it comes to living a worldly life, living the American dream, the gospel of Jesus Christ is an inconvenience. I mean, think about it. The gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus tells you that you need to take up your cross and follow me. Jesus tells you that in order to gain your life, you need to lose it first. Jesus tells you that if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone asks you to go one mile with them, go two miles with them. If someone asks for your your outer shirt, give them your undershirt too. If you should pray for your neighbor, you should pray for those who persecute you and love your enemies. This is what Jesus calls us to. This is not a life of convenience. If you are looking for a life of comfort and convenience that's about you, the kind of me faith that runs so rampant in the church and in the world today, you need to look somewhere other than Jesus Christ. He is not a God who is to to, that is not unwilling to interrupt you. If you know what I'm talking about, if you've ever been interrupted by a movement of the Holy Spirit to where you're doing one thing and Jesus tells you, no, it's, it's, it's time to do something else. We see this happen time and again in scripture. Jesus was, was willing to be interrupted by people that God put in his path. Paul was as well. You know the whole story where he wanted to go one direction and God led him a completely different direction. He was willing to be inconvenienced. He was willing to be put out. He was willing to have his decisions challenged by the Holy Spirit and to go a different direction than what he felt comfortable with. If you are looking for a religion of comfort, true Christianity is not your game. It is not. But if you are looking for something worth your time, if you are looking for something that could literally change your life and change the world around you, if you are looking for something that is actually eternal in nature and does not pass quickly, if you are looking for something that is worth wrecking everything else in your schedule, Christianity is the place to turn. Jesus is the God to follow. He's not comfortable. He's not easy, he's not tame, but he is worth it. The seed that fell among thorns shows us what it's like to be preoccupied with the things of the world around you. What 
have you found in your life that preoccupies you? Again, maybe you need to look back in your mind to when you were busier than you are today. What in your life preoccupies you? Jesus describes the thorns as metaphors for the cares and riches and pleasures of life. If there were any phrase I would want to stick in your mind as you leave this place today, it would be that. The cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life. Those are the thorns that choke the gospel truth, that choke the word of God. What do those thorns look like in your life? The last two of those, riches and pleasures, it's very easy to see the selfishness in those. Right? Riches, it's just about getting stuff for yourself. Pleasures, that's just about making yourself happy, making yourself comfortable. Uh, I, I do believe, by the way, in, in the Christian life that there's, there is place for those uh, to glorify God and, and, and enjoying the goodness of his creation. But if it gets in the way of serving him or serving others, perhaps we need to step back and, and ask ourselves a question. But those two are pretty easy to see how they can go negative, right? Riches and pleasures. But what about cares? That's just things to do. That's really all that word means. Uh, cares can be things that we can pass off as good things. Uh, but oftentimes it's, it's good that gets in the way of what's best. Uh, right? It, it's things that we do over here in our career that we think are really important. All the while we're missing God and family and what he's calling us to do there. That can be an example of a care. What are the cares, riches, and pleasures that are tempting, attempting, attempting, to choke out with the truth that God has given you in your life. Because when those cares, riches, and pleasures choke out that truth, there's no fruit. They are immature, is the way that Jesus puts it. This seed does not mature. There's no fruit, there's no visible evidence. And if there is no fruit, then there is no reproduction. It is a stagnant pool. There is no one who comes to faith because of that person's testimony, because that person's testimony never matures to the point where they're actually willing to share it. This might be, of, of all of the seeds, this one might be the most, this one might be the most correct or apt to describe what is going on in the church in the 21st century is that the seed has come. Jesus has given us his truth. He's come and given us the gospel story. He's come and given us his word. He's charged us with the commands to love him and to love our neighbors. He's told us to go and serve the least of these. We get all kinds of truth when we come to Bible studies and when we come to church, but the cares, riches, and pleasures of this world are such abundance in our life that it just seems to choke out any hope that we have to actually have time for our neighbors. Are you so busy that you're unable to hear your neighbors cry for help? If you think that people around you aren't in need of the gospel because you live in the Bible Belt, you are very incorrect. And you are deceiving yourself to think that, well, we live in Texas. We live in rural Texas. Uh, everybody's fine here. You know, everybody has some sort of like cultural faith. Uh, let me go ahead and warn you of this reality. Uh, 
There's a difference between being a cultural Christian and following the way of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not trying to cast anyone's salvation into doubt, but what I am trying to tell you is that just because your daddy and your granddaddy and your grandmother were, you know, grew up in church and you went with them some doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. What makes you a follower of Jesus is that you have had and are having an encounter with his Holy Spirit where you recognize that you have no hope of your, on your own by yourself, but he has done what no one else could do, did everything that needed to be done to save your soul, that you have accepted that and that you are following him in obedience, at least attempting to. Yes, you're going to mess up. Yes, you're going to continue to sin, but that you have dedicated your life to that pursuit. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, not just to, when the census thing comes in the mail, mark yourself as a Christian, or when somebody asks you what you are, identify with that because that's your cultural identification. It is more than a cultural thing. It is something that is inconvenient still in our culture today to actually follow Jesus, to listen to our neighbor's cries. Trust me, they are there. And you can't live in a hurry and love your neighbor well. John Ortberg, author, puts it this way. Love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is the one thing that hurried people don't have. Love and hurry are incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is the one thing that hurried people don't have. It's a good word. I shudder at the thought of reading that quote like this. Love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love takes time, and time is the one thing that hurried churches don't have. I shudder if that's a reality. If we as the church of Jesus Christ, not this institution, but if we as the church of Jesus Christ have busied ourselves with work, with play, and sometimes even with church-related activities to the point that we have no margin in our schedule to be interruptible, to be approachable, to be willing to be inconvenienced by the needs of our neighbors, then we have nowhere else to look for the culpability of what is wrong with the world today, of what is wrong with Western society today, than to the church who has lost its way. It starts with us. Love your neighbor means in part being willing to spend your time, yes, your precious, busy time with and for your neighbors. To be interruptible. To have margin in your schedule. If you've ever been through any sort of budgeting class, or you've ever given, had advice given to you on how to make a good budget, one thing that almost is universal in every sort of advice that comes with that, think of Dave Ramsey and people like that, is that you create some sort of emergency fund, right? That you have some money that you don't touch in your day-to-day life, you have it, you have it set aside, because, well, tires go flat and they get holes worn in them. Kids get sick and have to go to the hospital. 
Uh, something comes up, the car just completely breaks down and you have to take it to the mechanic. Uh, there's always potential for emergencies to happen. Uh, and, and the wise budgeter, they don't know what's going to happen, but they have stuff set aside just in case some things happen, right? Just in case that emergency comes up. Why ought we not to do the same with our schedules? with our time. Yes, we have the things that we need to get done in the day, but are we leaving enough time? Let, let's take the great commandment piece by piece, okay? I don't want to talk about just the second part of it. Let's talk about the first part of it. Do we leave enough margin in our schedule to actually give a portion of our time to God first? If, if we're not, that's where we need to start. Uh, you, you need to start uh, in, in, in your room in the morning or, or at the kitchen table, wherever it's quiet, and giving some time every day those of you who have been keeping up, and, and, and I know there's, there's not a ton, and that's okay, because I know we're busy, right, and I don't want to give you one more thing to do, but on, on Wednesday nights right now online, we're going through a book called Prayer by Richard Foster, where he talks about several different kinds of prayer, and one of the kinds of prayer he talks about is a covenant prayer, and a covenant prayer is where you pick a place, and you pick a time, and you covenant those to God, and that's where, when and where you meet with God. That's a good place to start and give yourself some margin in your day so that you can give time to God, but do we also have margin? to give to others? Do we have margin to where if we knock on our neighbor's door and we say, hey, we live right over here. Here's our, my cell phone number. If you ever need anything, please give me a call. Or anybody else that we've ever said that phrase to. That's one of our favorite phrases to say, right? If you need anything, let me know. I do it all the time, right? Because it's, it's, a, it's a polite way to say, hey, I recognize you're in need um, and, and, and here's my offering. You know, and you whisper to yourself, please don't call, please don't call, right? That's what we normally do. But do we have margin built in our schedule to where if we tell somebody, hey, if you need me, give me a call, if they gave us a call, that we'd actually be able to help? Do we have enough time separated to love our neighbors well in that way? If we're going to obey Jesus' great commandment to be good neighbors, we have to have space in our lives and in our schedules for our neighbors. So maybe some things you can do with this, some action steps you can take. Budget your time and make some margin in your life for God and for others. Have some time that you can give away to others. Because Jesus tells us a story that we call the Good Samaritan. And we see two people that should have stopped and helped Jesus who were men of God who should have been the ones, not Jesus. Jesus was the one telling the story, not helping him, but telling the story about the, the man on the side of the road. We see two people that should have been good, godly men who were following after God. They should have been the ones to stop and help, but they had cares and riches and pleasures taking up their time, and they were too busy to stop on the side of the road and help someone in need. Jesus tells us that story. Are we, do we have enough space like the Samaritan did to stop and give our time to others? Build some free time into your schedule. Take walks in your neighborhood. Go to the park. Be around people. You can do that in a socially distanced way in our world where you can speak with people and you can talk to people. Maybe even, if God lays it on your heart, share the gospel with people. Do stuff in your front yard if you live in town. 
Don't always hang out in the backyard. It's a simple step. Especially, we live right here on this busy road. There's so many people that go down our sidewalk when we hang out in the front yard, which, you know, obviously we got to be careful because we have little kids, right? So there's a disclaimer for you. If you have little kids, don't let them run out and play in the street. Okay, I said it. Now we're safe. Um, But hanging out in the front yard gives you an opportunity to see other people sometimes instead of behind the fence in the backyard. It's just a couple ideas. There's so many others that I know you creative people out there can think of in ways to love your neighbors well, your actual neighbors. The challenge to you last week was to come up with a list of your eight closest neighbors, whether you live in town or in the country, and begin thinking not in one week reaching out to all eight. I just challenged you to reach out to one last week. But to be thinking over the next eight weeks how you can reach out to those people. And don't be legalistic about it. If you have somebody that's not in your eight closest neighbors, but God's laying them on your heart, go ahead and add them to the list, okay? Take somebody else off. Don't be legalistic about it, but reach out to your neighbors. Because here's the thing. You're living, breathing, healthy. You still have time right now. I don't know how long it is. I don't know how many opportunities we do have. But what I know is we have right now. We have today. We still have time. We can give to God and we can give to others. So your neighbor might be crying out for help. Are you quiet enough? Do you have enough margin to hear that need and to meet that need? I'm going to challenge you again. Go this week and love your actual neighbors. If they're strangers, just start by introducing yourself. If you know them, bake some cookies, do something and reach out to the people who live around you in Jesus' name. You don't have to go with a gospel tract and a 30-point illustration about why they should give their lives to Jesus immediately. Just start by letting them know that you notice them and care about them and are praying for them. And then see where it goes from there. We are called to love God and to love neighbor. That sums up the law and the prophets. That sums up everything. That's what we're called to do. May we be a people who, even though there are plenty of thorns around us seeking to choke out the gospel, may we fertilize ourselves with God's truth. May we water ourselves with God's presence. And then may we grow and bear fruit and love our neighbors well. During our time of invitation this morning, I want you to Continue to think just like you did last week. Allow the Holy Spirit to lay actual people on your heart that you might reach out to in the coming days. Believer or non-believer, either way, that you might reach out to with the love of Jesus Christ and think about how you might do that as well. Use your creativity. You are created in the image of the one who created everything that exists. You have creativity. Use that for God's glory and for God's purpose. How might God and who might God be leading you to during this time? Think about that. As we stand together, I'm going to pray. The band is going to lead us in worship. And you uh, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you during this time. Father, once again, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your presence here. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. And God, we thank you for the transforming power of your word. God, we pray now that as we begin to think about leaving this space, God, that you would begin to put people on our mind and on our heart And God, show us strategies and how we might reach out to them in a loving and responsible way. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.